Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching, a podcast series brought to you by Active Herefordshire in Worcestershire and the University of Worcester. The series aims to inspire and inform aspiring coaches across all sports and disciplines who are interested in gaining knowledge about how inclusive coaching can have a huge impact upon the athletes and the differences and similarities about how it should be approached. So we're inviting coaches to engage with us, take away some tips and see how they feel about inclusive coaching. There are six podcasts in the series covering a mixture of sports, ice skating, football, tennis, athletics, rugby and basketball. In these interviews, we're going to discover how our coaches have adapted and rounded their skills to become more inclusive and what it requires each time they step on the pitch, the court or the arena with their athletes. We'll talk about the challenges faced and the incredible rewards too. In this episode, you're going to hear from Rebecca Foster, MBE. She's a highly experienced PE teacher and coach in athletics, specifically at the Deaf Olympics, which she coached at three times. Her MBE was awarded for services to inclusive sport and supporting young people. She works as a support worker too. We'll hear about how she demonstrated that connection with athletes of different ages, focusing on their needs and the rewards it brought, and about how coaches need to push outside their comfort zone when it comes to developing relationships with inclusive athletes. So get ready for Rebecca Foster MBE. My name is Rebecca Foster. I came from Worcester, uh, to Worcester from Leeds, uh, where I was a school teacher, a, a PE teacher. And uh, I was in that profession for a number of years, took a year out and travelled and did some teaching abroad. And then because of just the way the world was at the time, I thought, right, I'd like to do some more teaching, but I'm going to dip my toe in the water with um, uh, higher education and I got a seconded role to go into Leeds Metropolitan University. But I actually came to Worcester because of its, ex- its inclusive profile. So although I know that some universities are doing inclusion, disability-specific well, I knew that Worcester was the best place and I wanted to be there because they were putting a lot of time and effort and investment into disability sport, which is why I'm here now. Um, and just take us through your, your background and how it's brought us to where we are now. So from a coaching side, I used to be a fairly decent athlete uh, growing up. Um, so as a schoolgirl, I was all England champion, a, a national champion for javelin. Uh, but I was also quite greedy because I didn't want to specialise in one sport or one activity. Uh, so this was the, the heptathlon became available for women at that time because we could only do the pentathlon before that. Uh, so they added the two events, which is uh, the 200 metres and the javelin. So it happens that javelin was my best sport. So all of a sudden I came from an average uh, athlete to fairly decent uh, across the board. So I loved my time in sport and I, I reached a, a good level. Um, I was just below Commonwealth level um, and I um, got a lot from sport. Um, but And then I retired about the age of 30 and I thought I'd can't say goodbye to the athletics track um, but I also don't want to say goodbye to the sport because I recognise that a number of people were volunteering on their Sundays, uh, Saturdays when the rain, you know, come hail, shine and uh, snow etc. They were putting something back into the sport so I thought well when I retire that's what I'd like to do. So I then um, 
got was qualified already through my teacher status, but from my competing at um, international level, I was therefore granted level two um, multi-event training badge. Um, but I also took myself to night school to learn sign language uh, because I thought, I don't want to go mainstream. I want to go into a, a group that might be slightly disadvantaged. And that's exactly what I did. So I went to night school and as soon as I could sort of know my ABCs and hello, how are you? Um, I thought I'm going to go down to where they do deaf sport. So at that time it was in Stoke. So um, I invited myself down to, to Stoke and I kind of tried to sell myself as this, you know, ex-athlete, kind of nice person, know a bit of sign language, do you need some help? And they were like, yes, please. And that's where sort of it opened up the door into coaching for me. Um, and I stayed with uh, UK Deaf Sport um, for 12 years. Um, but because of the nature of Deaf Sport in particular, a lot of the athletes aren't in one place. So you can come to Worcester and you could train a football team because they're all local and they don't necessarily have any impairments. But a lot of people who have impairments, they're national sports or they have to travel a great deal of a distance to, to get there mm. um, so it's very difficult for me to get a, a body of deaf athletes collectively um, so what I position myself as is that the traveling coach and team manager so I use that experience because I was a multi-eventer um, I was cheaper also because you know they didn't need to help fund anybody else although it was all self-funded makes me sound glamorous but it's not so talk us about the, the challenges there are f for you when it comes to adapting from the sport and the way you knew it and did so well at it to coaching and then coaching, like you say, with um, the deaf teams? I, I took a lot of the joy, I suppose, from my experiences of having uh, the ability to communicate, the ab ability to see things through. So I had very reliable coaches over the time. Uh, and how important your word was to people. So if you're going to do something and you say you're going to do it, you must do it and see it through. So I took a lot of that into uh, the deaf community, and and I, and it's really quite a different sort of community group from a hearing world because of lack of opportunity or uh, communication issues. So I had to. It, it was very different because I expected the same level as a non-disabled athlete or a hearing person. I expected it to be exactly the same in the Deaf Olympics, and it's not. Um, and I found that quite difficult because I almost thought, well, they're not getting the same funding, they're not getting the same exposure to uh, media, um, it's secondary, and it, it felt, felt like a poor relation. So... And, and, and I suppose to working with those athletes, how, how quickly were you able to adapt? Or what, what, what was that journey like in adapting what, what you delivered to them? Um, again, I'm going to say I'm a bit of a fraud because a number of... It was the skill of the deaf person uh, that actually enabled me to communicate more effectively. Uh, so they, um, or the deaf community, are used to... <laughs> made me ignorant hearing people that don't quite get it. So... They will write things down or they will explain again. They don't mind repeating. So I would say it was more the skill on the deaf community that embraced me rather than me. So I was saying, oh, do correct me when I, I, I get something wrong or tell me. But as, I, as I've learned of being in the community, community, it's not necessarily their role to do that. You know, if I'm passionate about something, I should put the effort in myself. 
So I continue to do that. So the, the communication side was always a, a, ch a challenge, um, but I used um, other methods such as... Um, uh, I, I also know, sorry, how possessive my coach was if I went off to a training camp. They were kind of always that think of, well, I don't want them to be poached. So I made it clear to all of the coaches that saw the athletes day in, day out, I'm not in the market for that. I'm there primarily to be their eyes and ears at that time. What does your athlete need? So I found that that was a really good way for me to win the respect of the athlete because they knew that I was invested in their, their coach back home. I'm hoping that the coach felt safer thinking, well, yeah, I'll share their program. And uh, yeah, if you could just tell me this, could you video, video this or could you give me a report back? I was like, yeah, let, yeah, absolutely. Because it's not my role to change a, an athlete's sprint start um, two days before their, their final. So it, that I found was really good. How did they want to me to communicate with them? Did they like? Did they want me to take them to the the pen where you you know, you're held held in that area? Uh, would you like me to um, go through the warm up with you, or would you like to be left alone? Do you want a motivational speech, or would you like me to go you know g gently? So all of these things was a way of me to try and forge that relationship to to mm. make sure I could get the best from them. Do you think there is a do you think there is a danger potentially when you pr approach some this ed some element of, of inclusive coaching that you can make assumptions before approaching people and then that can that can you know in theory damage that relationship before it's almost started? I think that's probably the best piece of advice is that you you don't make assumptions on any athlete. So again, although I'd um, competed at, at the level I had, I know that the the coaching techniques that are used on me would work very well for some athletes and not for others. Um, and I think that's that's about your emotional intelligence as well, and just being aware that people have got different needs. And if you don't talk to them and you assume everything. Well, you know what people say, don't you? It makes an ass out of you and me. Um, so it is an element of you have got to open up that dialogue if you're wanting to, to forge that relationship. Hope you are enjoying the Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching podcast so far and taking some inspiration from our guests. We'll get back to that conversation shortly, but we just wanted to make you aware of the other episodes in the series. There are going to be six interviews with the different coaches, plus an introductory episode where we sit down and discuss all of the coaches' chats with the people behind the podcast, the Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire Partnership and the University of Worcester. That episode is available now. Go and check it out. And soon you're going to be able to listen to our chat with football coach Glyn Harding. For the last 20 years, he's been helping people become coaches through the disability coaching degree. And he knows the potential coaches have to make an impact in inclusive sport. A lot of young people come here and think they're going to be getting a job at Everton Football Club or Aston Villa as a coach. Ultimately, maybe with the first team. As they develop through the, the, there's a bit of realism kicks in, that there's very few jobs at, at that level, and they're usually for ex-players. However, they can have more impact going to coach the under-13s or the under-14s, and it's actually now a full-time job. So try working with girls, try working with lads, try work with elite players. Go and coach a deaf team, and you might find that's your forte, your gift. Remember, you can find more details and links to the episode at activehw.co.uk or just search for Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching. For now, let's get back to this episode. 
So what, what inspired you, do you think, to, to go into that element of coaching when you took on uh, and worked in all those Deaf Olympics? What, what, in, what inspired you? What drove you? Well, originally it was to put something back into the sport. I didn't want to walk away from it as an athlete, as a retired athlete, and, and not put something back. That was, that was probably the reason. But I think when I got involved, the reason I, I felt as though I had a job to do. I felt that there was something that I could help improve. And I loved the athletes, that connection with them and watching them grow and get good results and being a small part of that journey. It's Well, it's... It's like a drug. So you think, right, I think I could do that again. Or, you know, but in the four years' time, they're going to be four years older. We're going to be able to build on that relationship. I'm going to know more about their coach. So that itself was motivational enough because at, at that time, I had a really good bunch of athletes that really, we all work well together. Mm-hmm. You spent some time um, as a support worker as well. Mm-hmm. How, has, how has that uh, impacted on on? whether you're coaching or just, I suppose, your understanding of impairment? Um, well, it, it's a, been a joy, actually. Um, I don't, I'm not particularly close to anyone that's got a, a hearing impairment um, or, or necessarily people in my life that are, are disabled. Um, and I thought, I'm lecturing about something here, that um, I'm, a li- I'm able-bodied, uh, non-disabled. I have no lived experience, you know, and I'm thinking... I've, I feel like a fraud. So therefore I go back to thinking, well, let's just get some, get, get some experience. And the joyful part of it is again, connecting with a youngster uh, that um, doesn't always see the world as I would see it. And it's been very nice to be welcomed into their world to say, this is, this is my truth. This is my lived experience. And I will try and, um, influence perhaps in the, you know you've got to brush your teeth a little bit more you know but it's all it's all about that relationship of talking to an adult and being heard and being listened and again a lot of the scenarios that I go through I, I speak through with students I, I try to keep the person anonymous but due to their condition um, sometimes I'm talking freely about some of the stigma that we um face when we're out and we might be walking and we get heckled and it's how do I have that conversation with a a young person because they will look a particular way and some person has just driven by in a car and shouted obscenities out the window I think I'm digressing slightly Um, but it's the point of I wouldn't have been exposed to that before and I think if I can tell some students the effect that that has when they're in schools, when they're in coaches themselves, so might, that language is inappropriate or, you know, challenge, I suppose. Mm. How, much, how much can students learn from getting that experience themselves, despite hearing the stories and, and you know, the experiences that you have? How much can they really learn from, from taking on that kind of experience? Because it wouldn't necessarily be the main route you'd think of doing if you're getting into that side of coaching. I think... Um, we all learn, um, and I think if you push outside your own comfort zone, you, you grow more, you get more of appreciation. But I think it's about pushing those boundaries of if you're nervous about approaching someone who uh, might be in a power chair and they might not have eye contact with you, um, you might be worried of the that you might offend, where, you know, they'll let you know if you, they offend you. Why not just try? And if you get the response from both ends and it's mutual, then 
Wow, what a great moment for, for both of you to uh, have, have recognised someone's existence as opposed to just walking past them constantly. So I think it's about doing things that you wouldn't norm, or, nor, ordinarily do that you can actually learn by. We, we, we've heard quite a bit and we do it, it is quite a constant thing that for to really understand people you're coaching when it comes to inclusive coaching it, it's to see so many things from their side as well rather than bringing your your coaching agenda in and, and just yeah. putting that out it's that adaptability is key isn't it absolutely again unless you make it relatable to the athlete you, you could be talking you could have the olympic stadium paralympic stadium outside it won't make any difference you've got to find that connection and by doing that you've got to show your human side so you've got to sort of say you know what what you're here for why do you want to and again i think disability in particular because it's often i mean there are hidden disabilities but visually people make those assumptions or or if they're deaf we can't talk to them when actually they probably can lip read all you have to do is ask, and that already goes so much more than what the majority of the population already do. What was your your, your proudest moment when you were working with uh, in the Deaf Olympics? Um, I I think it was uh, for the first year that I was team uh, or team coach, we got two gold medals, and the athletes did the work. I, I'm not. But I was proud because one was only 16 at the time and another was in her 40s and they both had completely different needs. And at that time, and we had some other medal winners throughout, I'm just saying that too. But these two, because they were so poles apart, I was so delighted to be able to show to myself that I can talk to, to a younger athlete and connect and say, what do you need from me? and an older athlete who was very dependent on her husband at that time, but he couldn't come out because he was in Australia. And it's like, right, what does this athlete need? Um, so it was phoning home. You know, she said, I haven't got any, I don't know how to use a phone. I said, well, 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 come with me. Let's make this happen. So it's just simple stuff of those those little tiny moments that, that make the difference between a hundredth of a second, mm. or, you know, or the gold medal or the silver medal. So they're probably my pr- proudest moment, that first Def Olympics. And is that specific, especially for that to happen within the first, you know, very early on in that stage? Was it was yeah. it was it really as simple as that? The needs and just listening to each one. Yeah, I, I, for me, mm. it could be so. But I've not managed to get that the second time I went or the third time I went. Athletes change, athletes evolve. I, I do. I mean, I do feel the needs were still there. But at that time, because it was the infant. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I can talk myself out of it now that you made me think. But um, I think for me, that those moments, I felt that I, I helped a little bit on their journey. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that. Um, so so as as and as people hopefully applied those kind of thoughts and those approaches to coaching as, as people carry on using those ideas what do you think good inclusive coaching can really achieve if people take up some of those examples and some of those thought process well just by opening the communication avenue of, of welcoming people into your club regardless it be gender race religion etc um, I do think uh, people need to talk more um, I, I, I think unfortunately there are some clubs that are we only want a particular sort sort of person at our club, or we don't think that we've got those facilities because they're worrying about the funding or what it might look like. So there's a, I, I get the sort of the political side of things, but I do think that if 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 every club 
had a, a disability a, a agenda to say, right, okay, rather than turning people away, so how can we help? We have, might not got it right first of all, but what can we do to make sure that you get a game here today rather than someone turning the door saying, we don't know sign language, so we can't, we don't want you here. The person said, I don't even use sign. You know, instantly door shut. So I think it's about um, open dialogue and be mm. and be willing to be able to bend a little bit. Do you think then, in that respect, there, there's a bit of a duty upon coaches to to look to see where they can help solve those problems? Uh, yes, I do. But I think coaches also need to decide what area they are. They at grassroots? Are they want mass participation? Are they at elite sport and everything in between? What do they want out of their journey? So for me, I was grassroots, I suppose, as as a school teacher. But then I also wanted to make my sort of journey to elite with with other athletes. But I suppose what does the coach want out of it? And if they're wanting to get the best of the best of the best from... Grassroots might not be where they, they need to be. If they're looking at more of an inclusive approach then my taking is that, well, let's try it. And then you might find that that one person that has got an impairment, you can sign them post to a, a national governing body which has their equivalent of the Deaf Olympics or the Paralympics or the Dwarf Sports or Special Olympics because that pathway is still just as valuable as mainstream sport for, for them, especially when they can compete in both. Mm-hmm. And and what one thing do coaches need to remember when it comes to approaching uh, coaching an inclusive sport talk to the athlete um I, I think again it's about starting that communication if someone comes into the club and the coach again they need to perhaps check their ego a little bit because sometimes they're like this is me this is my new group i'm going to assert my authority i'm going to tell them this this and this that's the plan i've got in my head but it might not be the plan for who they've got in front of them. And that adaptability is to sort of actually say, well, do you know what? That, that hasn't worked. And a critical, reflective coach would be thinking, no, I think I've got more in that one. So what do, I, what do I need to do before I then ask them? Because, again, the, the coach has probably got the more flexibility of the, 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 the coaching knowledge to adapt it more. Uh, the athlete will give you that that sort of ability, that willingness to say, yeah, well, I'll try that because mm. you're investing in me. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. So there we have it. A huge thanks to our guest and, of course, to you for listening to this episode of Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching. Remember, if you want to know anything about the Coaches Academy or get more support on your coaching journey, then go to the Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire website, which is activehw.co.uk. We'll see you soon.